Right Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. As we said so many times on this show this year, it's always the most vulnerable among us who face the harshest consequences of economic, political, and societal crises. My next two guests take a look in Crane's Detroit business this week at an issue that highlights that theme in more than one way. They write that there's a home care crisis in Michigan, which has been made significantly worse during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's a crisis that has a devastating impact on two groups of people who are already at risk disabled people, and the low-wage workers who care for them. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. Uh, and I've got the two people responsible for this work in Cranes with us to talk about it. Chad Livengood is senior editor at Cranes Detroit Business and one of the authors of uh, a piece that uh, is titled In Dollars and Cents, Michigan's Home Health Care Labor Model is Broken for the Most Vulnerable. Chad, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for being. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Uh, also with us is Anna Clark. She's a Detroit-based journalist and has a piece in Crane's Forum titled "Low Wages, Long Hours Contribute to a Critical Shortage of Healthcare's Unsung Heroes." Anna, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, so, Anna, I'm going to start with you. Uh, talk about what is causing the shortage that you identify in your piece, and why this is such a huge issue here in Michigan. Sure. Um, well, it's, it is a huge issue, and it was a huge issue even before the pandemic came to the state, though, of course, um, it's only worsened. Um, so direct care workers are um, is sort of an umbrella term for uh, home health aides, nursing assistants, people who work in home with either aging adults or people who have um, mental or physical disabilities or work in maybe small residential centers. And the, we've had in this state a very um, a crisis in caregiving because we, first of all, we make it incredibly difficult to have this job. The wages are very, very low. The hours are unpredictable. Um, the um, it, it's, it's a very taxing job. And um, even coming into this crisis, this uh, pandemic, we had um, tens of thousands of job vacancies that we we're struggling to deal with. Um, and you know, we need people's basic needs need to be met every day. So it was really quite a problem. Um, the pandemic has worsened things because, of course, the complexity and the danger of these jobs are more difficult. And um, um, and at the same time, the need has increased as a lot of day programs, maybe vocational programs, have um, have closed down. So we're 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 in we're in quite a bind when it comes to just meeting meeting the basic needs of our fellow community members. Hmm. Um, uh, talk about why the wages for these workers are so low. What 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 is the what is the reason for that? Well, because the Medicaid reimbursement um, funding is very limited. So um, these workers are getting maybe 10 to $11 per hour. Um, usually right now, there's also an extra $2 that they have per hour that's um, a temporary uh, raise for the pandemic that's due to expire at the end of the month, actually, unless the legislature steps in. Um, and this, and it's and it's difficult because a lot of the folks who, um, you know, uh, run the agencies that... Uh, employ these caregivers and the families that um, um, work with these caregivers, the, the people who rely on them, they, they, they know that these workers uh, deserve uh, better pay or stable benefits, things like that. They, they're, they're competing with 
big box stores and fast food restaurants um, uh, uh, for them. But and, and and a lot of the folks don't necessarily even want those other jobs, but they. It, they, they have a difficulty staying in uh, the caregiving role when their own ability to um, make a living is, is really under threat. It, one thing that's really confusing, I mean, it, it, the people who, the, the Medicaid reimbursement um, level is so low that the people who um, it, it funds as caregivers um, themselves qualify for Medicaid, you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really, it's, it's, we're, it's sort of a, 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 a dysfunctional cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chad, this is a really personal issue for you, as you write in your piece uh, in Cranes. Uh, talk about how this issue, this issue really affects your life. Yeah. So I have a brother, uh, Brian, who is 16 months younger than me. Uh, and in, um, in 2004, uh, he was uh, um, catastrophically injured uh, and sustained a major brain injury. Um, through a freak uh, electrocution uh, accident uh, that left him permanently disabled. He uh, lost his ability to walk, talk, uh, feed himself, uh, use his hands. Um, um, he can basically stand with assistance. He has leg strength. Um, so uh, he requires 24-hour care. He lives with my parents in Chelsea. And and uh, they get nurse aides. Uh, he's uh, because he's a you know fully disabled, permanently permanently disabled um, uh, young young adult. I mean, this happened when he was 20 years old, um, and he's now 36. Um, he he gets uh, nurse aides for 64.25 hours a week um, of coverage through Medicaid. And what I did was kind of break down this this cost because I myself serve as one of his caregivers at times uh, as sort of a backup. Uh, my mom does does it as well, although my mom has suffered hernias and, and doesn't really have, any, in my opinion, have any business pick, lifting a 220-pound man anymore um, But uh, at, at 60 years old. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get by every day. Um, but when we can't get, you know, usually you can get caregivers, but it is a roller coaster. Um, I think in 16 years, there's been 150 people who have come through my parents' wow. house uh, wow. in Chelsea. Um, and one has lasted well over eight years now. Um, and another one was three years. And uh, the, the third longest was 18 months. And everyone else has been less than that. Um, and, and some of them haven't even made it through an entire shift um, mm. and they've quit. Um, and and mm. so they, my parents have seen it all. They have a small business. So they try to basically manage between their small business in town and, and Brian. And it's it's their life. Um, now they can they can do it. And they have the means to also you know pay the caregivers additional money bonuses, whatever, you know, give them some money to stay for a Saturday night so my parents can go out to dinner. Um, things that when you have um, a, a person you have to take care of, uh, it, you really cherish and value. Um, but I broke down how the, the, the care agency uh, that, that uh, called M&M uh, Healthcare um, out, of, out of Livonia that, that handles my brother's case, they get paid by Area Agency on Aging through Medicaid $17 an hour. 
Um, so in that $17 an hour, they have to pay the caregiver. They have to pay the caregiver's uh, payroll tax. They have to pay um, liability insurance. Uh, they have to have money for their own overhead for managing this, which is I've, I've, I've been on their on their payroll as a part-time worker occasionally. I, I see these emails on a daily basis. They are scrambling. They are looking for people. Um, and sometimes it's desperate. They're offering $50, $100, $200 bonuses just to pick up a shift or a week's worth of shifts because someone quit or someone got sick with COVID. Um, I mean, there's any number of things uh, that uh, existed before the pandemic that have just been you know, exponentially uh, worse and harder to manage uh, these past nine, 10 months. Mm. Uh, we're talking about in-home care and how difficult it is generally, and especially how difficult it has been during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you're someone who's had experience with this issue, with in-home care, either as a worker, a patient, or a family member trying to get in-home care uh, for somebody, what is your experience looked like? What do you think needs to happen to better support these workers, these patients, and these families? Uh, and especially, give us a call and tell us how these have been uh, tougher times, how this issue has been exacerbated in your life because of the pandemic. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Anna, you also have personal experience uh, with this issue. Uh, talk about talk about your experience here. Uh, sure. Um, well, I, I, I've been one of these home helpers. I, I was a live-in overnight aid for a woman with uh, multiple sclerosis uh, when I was living in the um, Boston. And here in Detroit, I worked as a, a day helper for a young woman with uh, cerebral palsy. And um, I'm really grateful for those experiences. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for how it utterly transformed how I see the disabling ways that the cities are built and social structures are designed. I'm glad to have been in use and glad to get to know these uh, these folks. But um, it's also, it, it gave me a pretty intimate understanding of how incredibly difficult it is uh, to do this work. Um, uh, even when you're very committed to it and just, and, and want and want to want to help folks, right? You know, you, you, you have a compassionate instinct. It's, um, it's, uh, it, it, in addition to the low pay, there's sort of inherently erratic um, hours and, and sort of requirements and, 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 and tasks. Um, there's, it's, um, it's very intimate, of course, it's inherently intimate. And um, especially at a time um, when we're in a health crisis, I mean, that's, that's, that's very difficult. I mean, there's health workers uh, now um, who have, um, quarantined with the people they serve, the people they work with, leaving sometimes their own families and, and, and children um, uh, to stay for a few weeks uh, with the person who needs their basic needs met every single day and has nobody else to do it. I mean, there's, there's this, I, I thought it was difficult um, in the pre-pandemic time for a lot of reasons, um, certainly to just 
meet your own basic needs. And, mm. all, and but there's a whole other level of, um, uh, of, of commitment we're asking of people uh, right now uh, to uh, a whole level, other level of sacrifice we're asking of them. And we're, haven't yet made the commitment to really investing in them, right? Yeah. You know, like their their little two dollar an hour um, increase is on, on expected to expire in a couple of weeks unless the legislature acts. And a lot of people are questioning whether <laughs> it should expire ever right. Right. <laughs> or even be just two dollars. I mean, we're just talking like thirteen dollars an hour here for. Um, essential services, essential work for basic human life that affects not just the the immediate client, but as Chad was saying, a whole family, a whole community. And I'm also mindful here that we're in the anniversary year of the um, Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, that um, affirmed the, the worth of the civic participation of all people. And um, at a certain point, I think we need to actually show up for that hmm. for the caregivers and for for the the people who just have some different different needs sure okay we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to continue this conversation about in-home care and we're going to hear from you the listeners david and st Clair shores kevin and monroe faith in warren we will get to you next if you want to join them on the phones 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones we'll be right back with more detroit today You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about in-home care and the crisis that is unfolding in in-home care during the pandemic. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. I've got Chad Livengood, a senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business with us. Also Anna Clark, a Detroit-based journalist and author of the book, The Poisoned City, Flint's Water and the American Urban Tragedy. Uh, they have pieces in Crane's this week about the crisis in in-home care and how it is unfolding specifically here in Metro Detroit and in Michigan. Uh, let's go to Kevin in Monroe. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Hi. How are you? Good. Um, so I've worked on and off uh, in direct care work or in home care for uh, about eight or nine years now. Um, and I just wanted to make a couple of uh, small points. So I think it comes down to one of two things. I heard another caller already speak about the rate of pay. Um, but it's not just that we're, you know, we're out there saying we want more money. You know, um, the training that we go through is very extensive. Um, a lot of the times what happens is we get people that are hired off the streets, very little to no experience in working in, in this field, which takes a very special set of skills, takes delicate hands. Um, some of the things we do with people that go as inclusive as bathing them. Um, you have to have a special kind of tax to deal with these people. So what happens then is you get people hired off the streets. Like your, uh, like your guest was saying, some people might last a day. Mm. Um, that person leaves that day, guess what? You're stuck another eight hours. Your eight hours are turned into mm -hmm. 16 because your home requires there to be a certain amount of staff on hand at a time. So I think at a time like now, especially this, it needs to be reevaluated. I think even the training should be more in-depth for what requires people to work in these fields because you not only hurt those, those clients whose home you're working for, you hurt your coworkers. 
And then you get your managers who could care less that you're staying another eight hours. All they care is that the spot is, the spot is filled in that day. Um, I think it comes down to a couple of those things. And, um, yeah, that was, that was all. No, that's a really great point. Uh, Kevin, I'm glad you called and made it. Uh, Chad, respond to what, uh, what Kevin's talking about there. Yeah, so my parents have had seven different agencies in 16 years. Um, uh, the, the, the latest one, I think, is probably the best. Um, uh, and they inherited my brother's case through a company they bought up that was going bankrupt, um, uh, partly because they were over-reliant on Medicaid patients. And these, so these companies balance out the Medicaid pay of $17 an hour with private pay um, and also auto insurance uh, for people who are catastrophically injured in a car accident. Uh, this company, for example, charges $35 an hour to auto insurance companies. They don't always get it because uh, insurance companies will fight it, but um, that's twice as what the amount that uh, Medicaid pays. And so um, so they they are working with a labor pool that is transient um, uh, in in my brother's case, we are in uh, there in Sylvan Township on the western edge of Washtenaw County. It's halfway between Jackson and Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti, and you're a long ways away from population centers. Um, it's, it's not the same type of labor market as if you lived in Westland or Roseville or Detroit. Um, and and the availability of people to do the work is, is much more limited. Mm. They have to drive. I can't tell you how many people have not showed up for shifts because their car broke down uh, mm-hmm. or their mom's car broke down. Um, I mean, a whole lot of different things happen to people, especially when you're when they're living in poverty, um, to come work uh, for a job, as Anna noted, to, to, to basically still be qualifying for Medicaid. Um, and, and so... Um, and then the, the recruiting, um, for the last several years, my parents have done the recruiting themselves. Um, one of their, one of the, of Brian's current caregivers is just a girlfriend of a guy who works for my dad, uh, in his fireplace business. He just found out, hey, this, my, my girlfriend's in, in home health care and she's looking for a change. And so, um, so, you know, literally they just refer her to the agency and the agency will hire just about any, um, practically anybody just passes the couple of, you know, basic, uh, you know, um, you know, test and, 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 uh, background checks. Uh, they, they are very desperate for work, uh, to, to fill the, or to, for bodies to fill these jobs, um, to plug these hours uh, to your caller's point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Chris in Allen Park. Allen, or I'm sorry, Chris, <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Chris. Hi. Um, Yes, I'm a paid caregiver to my 28-year-old son with autism, and it's a hard job. Mm. I I had really no um, background in in caregiving until I started taking care of my son when he was diagnosed with autism at three. And so, Chris, can you can you explain for our listeners how that works? You're you're his mother, but you're also his right. caregiver, and so you say it's paid. What does that What does that look like? Um, well, it's I get paid for what's called chore service, and it's basically for cooking, cleaning, grooming, toileting, doing laundry, doing shopping, managing his medications. Bathing him, brushing his teeth, mm. all the things he can't do. And so, does that 
I mean, obviously, then you it would be difficult, I would think, to have another job on top of that. I mean, that's full time work. Uh, does right. that does that provide enough for you to be able to provide for for your family? Um, it just benefits what um, my husband makes. Thankfully, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's a truck driver. He has a good job. If I had to work, I I don't know how I'd manage doing that. If I had to work outside of the home, it'd be impossible. It is impossible. And and if you could, uh, Chris, would it? be easier if you had somebody from outside the home coming in to, to, to work with your son, or do you prefer to, to be doing it yourself? Um, I used to have someone who came in and gave me respite care mm-hmm. during the week, which would give me a little break in the evenings, but unfortunately we lost him to the pandemic. Wow. And so I've been doing it on my own for a while now. And it's it's just it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris, I I appreciate you calling and and sharing your story, and uh, I hope things uh, continue to go to go okay for you and 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 get better. Uh, Anna Clark, uh, talk about this position that 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 Chris is in. I would imagine that there are a lot of families who find themselves there. Uh, Chad's family is uh, in a in a somewhat similar situation, but this is pretty common, right? It's very common. And one of the things that I've really been thinking about while working on this article is that given how many people are, are are affected by this one way or another, it's truly baffling to me that there, we haven't yet summoned the political will to really change, improve our structure for this because it, the consequences are just enormous. I mean, I, um, I think one of the problems is that um, the it, folks seem to have a hard time of sort of understanding it as as actual work because these tasks may take place in a home because there are a lot of private everyday tasks it it maybe it doesn't um, uh, uh, come across as uh, as something that takes genuine effort and as a previous caller said too often like I mean genuine skills as well especially in lifting people and so on um, and um, maybe that's part of the resistance to uh, pain people better and thus creating a more um, sustainable structure that has less turnover for folks. Um, I don't know. Um, there's, there's a committee that um, a state level committee with the area of agency has been looking into uh, direct care work for the last uh, year or so. And one of the things that the director of um, uh, was said to me in the stories that they've when they've been thinking about maybe that we they need to look at licenses or certificates or some something some professional credentialing to that would help people value it more, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. which on one hand, if that's effective, great, um, that's meaningful. Um, but if it's um, it also part of it also makes me sad that something like that. That, that, that maybe more hoops need to be jumped through um, to validate the work that um, either uh, uh, that, that caregivers do, whether they're um, um, coming in from outside the home or, or, or like your caller, a, a, a parent who is doing genuine work mm-hmm. um, in addition to being a parent. Uh, Chad, uh, we've got about uh, two and a half minutes left, but uh, I, I want you to talk a little about the political context of this issue and whether it's realistic 
to think that we could get some reform, some change uh, in Lansing, uh, for instance, uh, that that would give workers uh, and patients and families uh, a, a little bit of better of a situation? Yeah, I think you have to start with just the dollars and cents of it. That um, I broke down the cost that uh, that Medicaid incurs every week and year to to care to provide the care for my brother. It comes out to eleven hundred dollars a week and fifty seven fifty seven thousand dollars a year uh, for that kind of of twenty four hour care. Uh, you wouldn't come anywhere close to that cost uh, in a nursing home, and that is really the alternative. Uh, my parents uh, and and I will uh, hopefully try to continue this when they can't. Uh, we'll we'll do anything uh, and move heaven and earth to keep my brother out of a nursing home. Um, and the cost of a nursing home is for that type of acuity uh, of a patient is way more. Um, and that 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 cost gets absorbed by society uh, in our Medicaid system. So um, I think that, that the conversation needs to turn to making the case to policymakers, both in Lansing and Washington, that this Medicaid rate system is, is not sustainable. It has to be increased in order to raise the stature of the job, um, give it more uh, importance, and, and attract um, uh, higher quality uh, people people to the job uh, who who, um, who may be turned off because they just can't simply live on 11 12 or 13 dollars an hour and that and and that that would be a major step if the policymakers would just accept would just recognize that um, and try to uh, try to at least create a better environment for a better labor pool um, and then maybe we can work on things like certifications and, and just ensuring that these people are the people that come into people's homes, you know, um, are, you know, trained and, and know and are safe because this is dangerous work. You are putting uh, someone's, you know, uh, you're, you're, in da- you're putting uh, someone's life in someone else's hands, really. Um, uh, and there's a huge amount of trust uh, that goes along with that. Yeah. Okay, Chad Livengood and Anna Clark. It was really great to have both of you here with us for this conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the role of the government in vaccine distribution and why one physician says it's coming up short. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.